Welcome to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS, covering the world of mapping and location technology. Welcome to Episode 7 of Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS. My name is Adam Mullett. I'm the Marketing Manager here. And I'm joined today by Executive Director of NGIS, Richard Bentley, and Training Manager, Diana Titron. And today we are speaking about the skills of the digital age. Um, So I'll start with you, Richard. We are talking about what it takes to survive in the world. It's no longer enough to go and just get a degree in your uh, area of speciality and then expect to um, survive. So tell me, what are the skills graduates need in 2018 and beyond to survive in the workforce? I suppose, Adam, when you, you look at a graduate, they're, they're a piece of clay that you essentially uh, mould into someone you, you need in your business. So we understand that they're interested in the direction that our business is heading, for, for one, uh, and then we look at their ability to be able to pick up those new technologies. So we've got, a, uh, I suppose, a stack of technologies that we use in our organisation. And to be sure that they can pick that up, uh, we we look at the skills that they pick up in the universities. Now, with with training, it then sort of tailors their experience even even greater. I mean, at university, you need to be... It's fairly broad, right? You can't deep dive into anything because you spend the rest of your career actually doing those things. So what we, what we look for are the people that are, are disciplined enough to be able to do that deep dive uh, and to be able to get you know, right under the hood of the technologies and the, I suppose the things that they're interested in because if you find something that you're interested in and you love, it's actually not a job. It's, it's fabulous. And, it, and you get paid for it. Bonus. <laughs> One thing that I've been fascinated by, Diana, since uh, working at NGIS is how much GIS has become like a skill that you need in all sorts of different industries. People need to know how to do a little bit of GIS or at least understand the concepts um, across many industries in, in lots of government departments and mining and in uh, marketing. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what are the, some of the skills that you see people asking for in our training courses? Well, it depends what software they're looking at. And sometimes they want advice on which software to use and which ones to blend. Um, But it seems to be a lot of the Esri products, the ArcGIS training they're looking for. And um, it's across all industries that they're using it. And then, of course, we um, do the specific training for those in the mining industry. So once again, that's ArcGIS. And Richard, why... Why do you think GIS has become such a broad skill? I mean, everyone has to know how to use Excel and everyone has to know how to use Word to write. I mean, GIS is almost getting in that sort of region. Why is this happening now? I think it's uh, because of the, I suppose, the proliferation or uh, the ability to be able to get to the information, you know, uh, from the blue dot that we see every day in our lives and people are collecting information around that all the time. GIS is like you know, Excel and Word, uh, it just allows you to, I, I suppose, uh, explore and and uh, slice and dice the data that has a location uh, available to it. So it gives you more insight. Diana, if you had to ask someone in universities to change their courses, you know, to to make graduates better prepared for the world, what would you what would you advise them to do? Well, that's a question without (laughs) notice. Thanks, Adam. Um, I think uh, maybe a lot of the practical aspects um, are missing 
you know, at university. They filling you with lots of theory, but it's the practical, you know, go to workshops, go and find out what happens in the real world and with using real data. Is that what you'd recommend for students to, to take on themselves? Uh, they probably have to, probably because it's not always available in the universities. So they probably have to go and go on courses or try and do something online, which is always difficult because you have to be self-motivated to do that. If I could add something there, I mean, I suppose in university the time constraints are there, so they're working with data sets that they know that they're going to get an answer from. A lot of the time with information that's gathered, it's we call it sort of dirty data, uh, and it needs to be cleaned and formatted and be consumable inside, you know, the product, you know, Excel or Word or, you know, a GIS package of some description, um, and that usually takes a lot of the time. The, the analysis is usually fairly fairly quick or straightforward, but there's lots of different ways you can you know, analyse the data. But it's just getting that data in a form which is uh, consumable by the products that you're actually using takes the time. The upshot of all this is that industry doesn't have people uh, available to them that have the skills that they require. How would a company know, Richard, um, if there is a skills gap in their organisation? Look, I suppose that goes back to uh, something I wrote a long time ago about Hey Bob. So Hey Bob is the, is the person that people go to in the organisation who has most of the answers. Um, you want to spread that across your organisation. So if you've got a person that looks like they're a bit of, they should be a, a superstar in your organisation but they're not really performing at their peak, just look at how they're being pulled from pillar to post by other individuals who... You know, it's it's those other individuals that are pulling Bob around that um, that need to have the uh, I suppose the additional skills um, you know uh, given to them by by training. So it's just look across your organisation, see who your, your your star performers are and why they and if they're not performing, and look at the people around them. I mean, it's no slight on the people around them. It's just uh, you know that's how it's quick for those people to ask that question rather than go and get an education around what the problem might be, Google or a training course or whatever, and it just fixes that specific that specific issue for them uh, for them. In terms of GIS, is there, is there a place, uh, Diana, where people can go and look to see what sort of skills they should develop within an organisation? I don't really think that there's a, a good sort of like timeline program that's available for people to look at, to know, you know, if they want to, you know, maybe they learn the basics, the fundamentals or something that they want to specialise. I don't really think... Um, there's any way for them to go and find out, well, what what course can I do and what should I do? So a lot of this is, um, like you were talking now, Richard, about um, companies identifying the who who is Bob and who else needs training. But uh, that's sort of in the ideal world because so many companies just don't do it. They want to do it, but they don't have the time to do it. So it's left up to the individual to identify the courses. And I think that's what is required. Yeah, if I can add there, um, being, you know, putting another hat on the HR hat, you know, in our organisation, we expect people to drive their own careers. People know and understand where they sit, you know, uh, technically, technically in our organisation. So if they're uh, missing some components or skills, 
we want those people to scan the market, find appropriate training, and then come to us and say, look, I want to do this. Uh, this is the, this is the um, hole I'm going to plug with the skills, uh, the skills gap that I have. So I think, um, you know, you're talking about a timeline. You know, there's the entry-level GIS, you know, the gradu- you know, graduates in any sort of uh, sense, and then you get to the, the mid-tier and then you get to the advanced. There are always, uh, you know, stepping stone sort of, um, you know, training that's available that'll, that'll just assist people get from one level to the next, you know, take you into that next realm. Okay, assuming that I've self-identified that I need to do training to better my career, how do I know, how do I know Diana, if I should do an online course, as even maybe at home or, or during working hours, or should I ask the boss to send me on a, like a full day or a full week course? How, how do you know when you want to go on the online course or in the you know, live course? I think it's got a lot to do with your personality. You know, if you're self-motivated and you've got that discipline, then uh, you can do online training. But um, there are two types of online training. It can be the synchronized, so when you, that's, you've got a live person on the other end talking to you, but you still don't have them looking over your shoulder, checking that you're doing the process correctly. Um, and then the asynchronized, which is, you know, you download material and you do it in your own time when it suits you, um, but there's definitely no assistance then. Um, and then if you do like a workshop, uh, you've you've got the presenter there. Somebody who's experienced, knows what you need for your sort of work, can watch you doing your um, practical work during the courses. And I think that's the easiest and quickest way to learn. And Richard, you uh, are in an interesting position where you can actually allow people to go on training and, and you're, you're one of the owners of the company, so you're paying for it, right? So how do people convince you that they should go on a training course? What are the things that you need to hear as the owner of a business that says, yes, this person um, you know, is ready for this or requires this? I, I suppose it, it, uh, there's a couple of things there. You know, it's their position in the organisation, whether it's a- applicable to their, their role in the organisation or where they want to move to in the organisation as well. Um, yeah, you said it's uh, it's it's difficult with training because I mean we run a consulting business and we take people out of production work. There's a there's a uh, lost revenue component and then there's a cost of doing the training. So we have to really make sure we've got the the absolute right training that's going to give us the the best I suppose the best return. So we're investing in the individual um, and we want to make sure we're clear on where they want to go in the organisation, what they want to do, what sort of skills that they want to. Um, want to build and we make a decision based on based on that it's not a i mean some people say oh you know give it to them it's a it's a as a reward um but it, uh, that's that's flawed uh, flawed thinking i mean you just throw you can throw good money after bad um it needs to fit with the business i think that's the main key so if you if someone came to you and said i can't get my training approved why is it richard you're at the bar with you over a beer what would you tell them what is, is there a tip you can give them or uh, is there a checklist well first of all i'd say uh, drink responsibly <laughs> <laughs> and uh secondly yeah there's I, I suppose there is it's it's like i was just saying before i mean i'd i'd sit with them and uh we just run through those those main those main components you know 
um, where where they want to go to in the organisation. Now, that might not be clear to me at the, that particular point in time. It might be between uh, reviews and they've said, OK, I don't want to be a, a senior developer any, anymore. I want to be a solution architect or I want to get out of that completely and do uh, quality control for our, for our code. Um, so it... If I understand that, then that you know that paints a picture of what that individual wants to do, and that then throws a different light on it. But if somebody just puts a, a thing across your desk saying oh, three and a half thousand dollars for a three day training course uh, in project management, it's like, well, I need the background. You know, you, you're giving me you know a keyhole view of what you want to do as a career. So yeah, sit with the sit with your manager, paint a picture for them, um, and you know. Good ideas. There's always money for them, or you know, direction. There's there's always money available. You know, it doesn't matter how badly the the economy is going. Um, you know, it, that's that's just a fact. So, getting bang for buck um, is something Richard just touched on a bit earlier. What are the characteristics of a good training experience? Um, well, it obviously has to give you the um, course content that is applicable to your industry. Um, that's very important. But I think it's using real-world data is important. So you're getting practice using something that is applicable to the, the industry that you're in. Um, you want a presenter who uses the product every day um, so they know how to use it properly and they're expert in using it and uh, hopefully they have the experience in the industry that you are working in and we're quite lucky here to have people who've worked in most industries. What uh, role do practical exercises play in you know people learning and, and really getting skills they can take away? Well once again it's going back to putting into practice what you're going to be doing once you're back in the office. So if you're working on data that is what you would be using back at the office, well, you know, you're one step ahead already. Now, not everyone's going to get something out of training. You know, some people are at the end of their career perhaps or they're doing training that isn't relevant to their career journey, like Richard was saying. What sort of people wouldn't get anything out of a training course? Well, the people who didn't want to go on it in the first place. And, you know, some companies just sort of go, we need to train people, and they just send them off. Um, people who are being made redundant are sometimes sent on courses that aren't really applicable to what they might want to do in future. Um, but really it's down to does that person want to get trained or not. So just to finish off, I just want to ask you guys, put on your futurist hat, as I sometimes do in the podcast, and tell me, is training going to look the same in future? Uh, you know, the methods, um, the way it's delivered. What, what do you think, Richard? Well, I think it's a, it's a bit of a, you know, uh, Westworld-type scenario. I mean, you, you, might, you might have people in, in the room, but they might be holograms. It's just going to change. And I think Diana uh, hit the nail on the head. You know, people want to, they want to, they want to be trained. To, to make it effective, they, they need to want to be trained. I think that's what I'm trying to say. And... Those sort of people, um, you know, working with their own information uh, on site and uh, being able to do that, you know, using the technologies that are becoming available uh, rather than being, you know, an online, you know, it's a one-way sort of street. They're pushing the information to you and you're trying, you've got to absorb it where there's the interaction can be local and sitting there. 
I think there's still it. I mean, it's from I'm rambling a little bit, but uh, well, a lot. <laughs> um, but I think it, it goes from everywhere from that online, uh, you know, augmented reality style training all the way through to still training with your data sitting at your desk looking at your problems and I think there's still going to all there's always going to be that you know it's hard to explain those problems to to a you know an artificial intelligence uh, thing that's sort of sitting there so yeah I think the world's our oyster in training um, um, I think the the uh, the online training packets or the snippets that we see they'll they'll sort of come and go um, you know, it's a it's a cheap way to train people, and you can push it to outside of work hours, and you can do it whenever you want to. But I, I think that defeats the purpose of you know, or the um, the the importance of training uh, the individual. You you make it less important than other things that they're doing in their life. I think it's going to be a blended training, so you're going to get. Um, Sometimes you're just going to have to train yourself. Um, you're very good at that, Adam. I know you. You know you'll go online and find uh, ways of training yourself. Um, so, and that does take that discipline, which is not easy for everybody. Um, but I think it's going to be an expectation in the future that you do keep yourself up to date and you just keep moving with the times. Um, there will definitely be more e-learning um, from people. But I think, it, and that will be blended. Some of it they'll make you do, you know, in your own time, and others will be live. Um, but I don't think you're going to ever get past um, the personalised workshops where people have somebody who's alive and can answer your questions and um, guide you. Well, thank you very much both for joining us on the podcast today. If you want to find more episodes of Location Matters, head to our website, ngis.com.au. You've been listening to Location Matters, the podcast from NGIS covering the world of mapping and location technology. To find more episodes or to read our blog, check out our website, ngis.com.au.